Well, this morning we're going to get back into Romans chapter 12, and so you can open your Bibles to Romans 12, and uh, we're going to finish what we started last week. And so the title of the sermon this morning is Battling Spiritual Dullness, Part 2. And the focus of these two sermons is a little three-part command in Romans 12, 11, a three-part command in Romans 12, 11. And so look there with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And last week, we looked at the first two of these, not lagging behind in diligence and fervency of spirit. And, and then Paul doesn't stop here. He continues, and, and he doesn't just say, be diligent. He doesn't say, be diligent, but fervent in spirit. The third thing in the chain here is this idea of serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And when you hear the phrase, serving the Lord, a lot of things come to mind. If, if you've been raised in the church, you've heard this probably countless numbers of times. Be a servant of the Lord. How do you serve God? Serve God. Do things, right? That's what we hear consistently as Christians. I remember when we were in India, there was another missionary family there, and they were serving with a different missions agency, and, and I wanted to get to know this guy. And so we, we got together and met for coffee, and I thought, hey, we're you know, brothers on the field. We should meet together. And so we, we got coffee several times. We had a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations. And the man had been a very successful lawyer in the southeast part of our country, and then he had decided to become a missionary. It was really interesting. Every conversation that we had sort of had the same sort of flow. He would explain to me about all the things that his family had given up in order to serve the Lord. It was always the same conversation, all of the things that he had given up. We talked about his house in America and the beautiful house that he had. We talked about his job and his career. We talked about the season tickets that he had and the giant yard that they left and the beautiful cars that they had. And really, all of our conversations were about America. But we were sitting in a coffee shop in Delhi, India. And he would just consistently explain to me that he had given all that up to serve the Lord. Now, here's the question. Is that what it means to serve God? Is that what it means to serve God? And to answer that question... We have to sort of take apart these three commands. We have to understand again and think back through again what spiritual diligence is and about fervency of spirit in our service to God and what that ought to look like. What does that mean for service to God? And so I want to take this apart, this verse apart one piece at a time again. And so look with me at point one, fervent diligence, fervent diligence. Now, again, just to think through the first part of this command, if you were with us last week, uh, remember that we discussed that the Christian life can slowly become chilled, right? Uh, It's like being in a refrigerator. It takes a little time, but eventually you're cold through and through. That can happen in the Christian life. We can begin to get cool. And we looked at the dangers of unconfessed sin, that if you have sin that you're sort of harboring in your heart, that eventually that will produce a coolness of spirit in your spiritual life. And we we talked about the pride of biblical knowledge and the danger that that can cause. And we begin to think of the gospel as something that's mundane. It's not important to us anymore. We've already heard that. Like, teach me something new so that I know something new instead of remembering the depth of the reality of what Christ has done for us. And we talked about the dangers of worldliness and how the world can creep in and corrode our spiritual lives in such a way that Christ stops being our all in all. And we saw, I I think you remember if you were with us, that we saw a couple of things about spiritual diligence. Look at point A with me, that it is spirit-filled, spirit-filled. If you remember, we talked about how spiritual diligence 
is not something that you can manufacture. I can't manufacture a diligence of spirit. I wish I could, but I can't. Uh, Why? Well, because in my flesh, in myself, I'm a broken person. I'm a broken person. Spiritual diligence has to come from God Himself. It has to come from God. I, I can't make myself spiritually diligent. And the only way that it comes to us is through the Holy Spirit. You remember we talked about how the Spirit is doing something inside of us that produces this life in us. Turn back again to Romans chapter 8 with me. This we covered last week, but look in Romans chapter 8. Just starting in verse 14, Paul is talking about the children of God, and he says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, which is what it would be if, I, if we just were trying to manufacture spiritual diligence. It would be slavery, wouldn't it? I have to do this. I must do this. He says, we haven't let, ha- received that spirit, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit is testifying to us, isn't He? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, this is the constant witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart. He is constantly telling you, you are a child of God. You are a child of God, that you've been adopted by Him. And what it means to walk in the Spirit is to turn our ears to what the Spirit is saying and to trust that that is true. I am a child of God. And in spite of all the hardship in my life, and in spite of all of my failings, which are massive, I have been adopted by God, and I have a heavenly Father, the creator of the universe. I'm in His family, and He has sent His Son to shed His blood for my sins, and He's put His Spirit in me so that I have the power to walk in newness of life. Paul says the same thing in Galatians 4, just so you know I'm not making this up. Flip over to Galatians chapter 4. Look there with me. Paul in Galatians is detailing what happens with the law and Christ. And in Galatians chapter 4, just look at what he says. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we, Christians, might receive the adoption as sons. Again, we have the same idea, adoption as the children of God, right? We're God's children. Boys and girls, we are, we are the children of our heavenly Father. And then he says, verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Same language, exactly the same idea. The spirit is in us, crying out inside of us, Abba, Father, to our heavenly Father. Now, this is so important. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means to trust the reality of God as our Heavenly Father, to trust His profound love for us. We need to trust His sovereign goodness over our lives. We need to trust His presence in us through the Spirit of His Son. And so Paul says to be spiritually diligent is to walk in the Spirit. It's a walking in the Spirit of God in order for us to be spiritually diligent in our Christian lives. We cannot manufacture it. God produces it in us through the Spirit of His Son who dwells in us. And that happens by faith in His promises. But as we talked about last week, our hearts are idol factories, right? 
And we can so quickly turn to other evil motives, to false things for why we're diligent, can't we? We can turn to different things. And there's only one way around that, as we talked about last week. And this is point B on your outline, motivated by love. We saw last time the only motivation that is pure is the motivation in love for God. To be truly spiritually diligent, to truly have spiritual diligence in our lives, it must come from a heart of love for the Savior and for our Heavenly Father. We have to love Him if we're going to do this. And again, the problem, if you're here and you're a Christian, you know your heart doesn't always love God the way that it should. I don't love God the way that I ought, so how does God produce a love for Him in me? And the answer is not by me doing it, but by me receiving it. When we trust God's love for us, it produces a love for Him and a love for others. And we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Paul tells us the love of Christ controls us. The thing that can truly constrain my evil motives, the thing that can shape me so that I live for Jesus is not me. The thing that can shape me and cause my heart to boil in fervency for God is God's love for me. And when I trust and believe that reality, it changes me. It changes me so that I live for Him and not for myself. And so we have the foundation laid in these two passages for what it means to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit means to overcome that spiritual laziness that's in us, that lights us on fire and that creeping chill of dullness that happens inside of us goes away because we're worshiping Christ because of what He's done for us and His love for us. But how does that relate to serving the Lord? What does that look like? And this brings us to point two, to serve or not to serve. There's a danger in the Christian life that we would begin to think that service to God is not necessarily something that we do or even anything inside of us, but that this spiritual fervency is just this sort of bubbling, ecstatic feeling, or you get some spiritual tingling, and you're like, oh, that's spiritual fervency. I've got that. That's enough. But that's not what Paul means. When Paul talks about spiritual diligence, he's talking about service to God. Notice this. Just look at verse 11 of Romans 12 again. He says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Look at his trajectory of thought. At the end of that trajectory of thought, diligence produces service. But this begs a question, doesn't it? Here's the question. Does God need you? Does God need you? Now, this is a tricky question, isn't it? It's a tricky question. Maybe you've had this thought to yourself, God doesn't need me. The church doesn't need me. I'm not needed, right? Or maybe on the flip side, some of you have thought of yourself as essentially indispensable, right? If I'm not here, nothing ever gets done. If I'm not here, nothing gets done. I can't be replaced because I serve God, (laughs) None of those is right, right? Both sides of that are actually wrong. So what is service, right? And this is point A on your outline, God without needs, God without needs. The first thing we need to think about is that God has no needs. God has no needs. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. John read this for us this morning. This is a beautiful 
sermon of Paul. He's in Athens, in the center of idolatry at the time, pagan idolatry in Athens. And he climbs up on the hill, Mars Hill, Areopagus, and he's going to go and proclaim this unknown deity to these people in Athens. And these are religious people. He even says himself, I see you're highly religious people. He says, I see that you even have a statue to the unknown God. You make statues for all the gods, and then maybe there's one we left out, so we'll put up an unknown God statue, right? They just keep going. And Paul says, I noticed that. And then look at verse 24. Look what he says. He says, the God who made the world. Listen, it's a beautiful text. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. What does Paul say? Paul says very simply, he is not served by human hands. He doesn't need any of us. God doesn't need any one of us. None of us is indispensable. Not a single one of us is indispensable for God's purposes in the world. All of us are add-ons to God's plan. He doesn't need any of you. He doesn't need me. He just doesn't need us. I mean, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, you might know this verse. It's our memory verse for next week. God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's an amazing sentence. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. God sits in the stars and the planet is his ottoman. And he puts his feet on and he says, that's how big I am. The population of the earth is nothing. He says, where then is a temple, a house that you will build for me? A bunch of ants scurrying around, putting rocks on top of each other. God says, the planet is my ottoman. You're not doing anything for me. You're not serving me. I don't need you. We cannot serve God. Now, for some of you here, that's a devastating thought because you like to be needed. It feels good to be needed. You say, well, I'm, I'm not needed. You hear God doesn't need you, and you think, well, that doesn't make me very happy. And for some of you, you're thinking, awesome, God doesn't need me, I'm out of here. <laughs> Throw me a couple of burgers, I'm good. God doesn't need me. But the problem for you, on that side, is that God has commanded us to serve. What does Paul mean when he says, serving the Lord? Right? So we have what appears to be a contradiction in the Bible, don't we? Paul commands us to serve, and then Paul says, God isn't served. How does that work? Well, first, I want to show you why service can be so dangerous. And this is point B on your outline, a dangerous service. What kind of service could be dangerous? What kind of service to God could be dangerous for your Christian life? I mean, come on, we're just serving God, right? How could that be a danger? There's at least three ways that service to God is dangerous for us. They can put us, that serving God can put us in genuine spiritual danger. The first is in atoning service. Atoning service. We can serve God in a way, in a desire to atone for our failures, Of course, we would never say this. None of us would ever say, I'm serving God so that I atone for my sins. We would never say that out loud. We we might not even think that way. But somewhere in our hearts, we are in this place where we think to ourselves that serving God will make him happier with me than he is right now. If I serve, he'll be happier with me. 
I'll sort of get on his good side. Yes, there's the gospel and all that, but I want to be on God's good side. And so if I serve, he'll be happier with me than he is right now. That'll help my relationship with him. Why is that dangerous? Because that's exactly opposite the gospel. God is already 100% happy with you. Why? Because of Jesus. There is nothing in your flesh, in your old self, that makes God happy with you at all. And there is everything in your new life in Christ that makes God happy with you. He can never be happier with you than he is at this moment. He can't. To seek to make God happier with me by my service is to try to earn favor with God. That's not Christianity. That's Catholicism. That's a false gospel. So atoning service can be dangerous. It can be dangerous for us to serve God so that he's happier with me. There's two more. We can have man-centered service. What is man-centered service? It's the type of service that's just based on man, right? It's based on other people. What does it look like to have man-centered service to God? That's kind of a contradiction, right? Of course not. We all do this. We serve for the opinions of people, right? I serve God so that people think I'm godly, right? Oh, that guy's a servant. He's, he's godly. And that's the motivation of my heart. I serve God so that people don't think I'm lazy or selfish. Oh, why would you do that? Well, I'm such a giving person. Everyone knows that, right? We can serve God for those things. I serve God so that others see me and approve of my spiritual life. That's just a few. And there's countless more like that that are subtle motives in our hearts. And those should be obvious about why they're dangerous, right? Why is it dangerous to serve God for other people? Because at the end of the day, I'm not actually serving God. Who am I serving if I'm serving for the no, for the no, to be noticed by people? I'm serving me. At the end of the day, that is me just serving me. I want the praise of man. I don't like shame or dishonor. I don't want to be embarrassed for not being a servant in the church. And so what do I do? I serve. But I'm not actually serving for God. Not really. And so we can have atoning service, we can have man-centered service, and the third one that we can have is idolatrous service, idolatrous service. Sometimes in the Christian life, we get in this place of serving God so that we get something in return. And maybe you've been there. There's this transactional notion about our Christian life. All right, I'm going to do something for you, and then I need you to give me something back, right? I'm going to work hard for God, and then, Lord, you need to give me in exchange the thing that I need here. Lord, if I serve you well as a pastor, our church will grow, right? I'm serving well, therefore the church will grow. Lord, if I serve you well, you'll save my kids. You'll bring them to Christ. Lord, if I serve you well, you will increase my net worth. I mean, at the end of the day, I serve, right? You should give me something. Lord, I'm happy to serve so long as I get some benefit. Lord, I've served you well. Heal my sickness now. What are those? Those are just idols, right? They're just idols. It's no different than the fisherman on the island who offers an incense to his idol and then gets in the boat and prays for a big fish. It's no different. It's not service to God. It's service to the thing that we want from God. This is the, this is the service of the older brother. You remember the older brother in the story of the prodigal son? The younger brother, what does he do? He runs off and sins in all sorts of different ways. He's totally unrighteous. And, and the older brother, by all accounts, if you looked at his life on the outside, you would say, this son is a good son. 
He, he's obedient to his parents. He does what's right. And when that younger son comes back, what does the older brother say? He doesn't say, praise God. Now, what does he say? You remember from Luke 15, 29, you know this story well. He says, look, disrespectful to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. That's almost humorous, isn't it? You've never given me a goat. What was he serving for? He wasn't serving his father because he loved him. He was serving his father for a party. He was serving his father for a goat. He was serving his father for honor. God isn't a giant vending machine in the sky. He isn't. We don't put our quarters in in order to get something back from him. And service for my idols isn't service to God at all. It's service to me. And so we have attention, don't we? God doesn't need me, and yet I'm commanded to serve. And service is incredibly dangerous because I can use my service for all the wrong things. I can use my service for evil things, for atonement and for idols and for the praise of man. All of these things can happen in my heart. And so can you serve God anyway? Is there anything that we can do to fix the tension? Can we obey the command in Romans 12? And the answer, of course, is yes. This is point three on your outline, resolving the tension. The way to deal with this tension is to understand again from the context where service to God comes from and how it works in the Christian life. Look at point A with me, the Spirit's gift. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul links together diligence, right? If you look at chapter 12, verse 11, he links together diligence with fervency of spirit, and then he adds on service. He puts all three of those together. What's happening What Paul is saying is that you cannot serve God unless you're filled with the Spirit of God. You can't serve God unless you're filled with the Spirit of God. Now think of what that means for a minute. Think of what that means for a minute. What that means is a person who is living in unconfessed sin cannot truly serve God. They cannot serve God. You can do nursery, and you can do twos and threes, which if there's any service to God, it's the twos and threes class. You can be in there and not actually serve God if your heart is sinfully angry at your spouse. You're not actually serving God. You're doing that because you had to, and you don't like the shame of calling and asking for a substitute, but you're not actually serving God. You're not, because you're not walking in the Spirit. A person who is serving out of shame cannot serve God truly because they're not walking in the Spirit. A person who's serving God for their own honor isn't serving God because they're not walking in the Spirit. A person who's serving God to get something from God is not serving God. None of that is service to God. They're not walking in the Spirit. And Paul connects these things together so that we feel this. This is true. We must walk in the Spirit if we're to serve God in any way. So the first step in resolving this tension is to see that true service to God has to be spirit-filled. And as we said, spiritual life comes from trusting the love of Jesus and the love of the Father for you. True spiritual life comes from trusting the love of Jesus and the love of the Father for you. And that produces in us true spiritual life so that we can walk by the Spirit. 
And that gets us one step closer to the answer because now we have a spirit-filled person who is serving. Don't we? A person who's filled with the spirit now, who's serving God. And what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? What does that look like? What does it look like when you're filled with the spirit? Well, we know this. If you're in Awana, you know this, right? What are the fruits of the spirit? You should know these. What's the first one? Love, right? The first fruit of the Spirit is love. That should make sense to us. Why? Because the love of the Father is what's causing us to walk in the Spirit. And therefore, the first thing that that love is pushing out of us is love. What does it look like to love when you're serving? It means you love God and you're doing it for Him, right? You're doing it for Him and not for any other motive. And you love the people you're serving, even if they're not thanking you. And your hearts are just bursting with love. You love the opportunity to serve. What's the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Joy. What does it look like to serve God? It means to serve Him joyfully in the strength that He supplies. This is not pasting on a smile and saying, oh, I love the twos and threes class. This is from your heart feeling the joy of Christ in you so that it's a pleasure for you to serve Him, so that it's a joy to do it because of the strength that He's providing for that. Love, joy. What else? What's the third one? Peace. Peace. It means that you're peaceful when you're serving rather than being harsh and demanding. Love, joy, peace, patient. You're patient with those who are around you as you're serving God. Why? Because it's a joy for you to do it and you're kind to them because of what God has done for you. And that's just a few. Serving in the Spirit is marked by all these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what's pouring out of you because the Spirit is pouring into you and as you serve, this is coming out of you and all the things that you're doing. Doesn't that sound awesome? <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. If you've ever served in the Spirit, you know this feeling. There's literally nothing you would rather do than do this. It's awesome. I, truly, you know this feeling. I, I can tell you as a pastor, some people say, well, it's hard, you teach a lot. If, I, if I'm walking in the Spirit, it's my favorite thing to do. I'd rather preach a sermon than go on vacation. It's totally addictive. And I don't mean that in any kind of self-righteous way. It's not because I'm a good person. It's because the Spirit of God empowers us to serve Him. And it's a joy to do it. When I'm not walking in the Spirit, it's the worst. But when God mercifully allows me to walk in His Spirit, it's wonderful, isn't it? And you know this. If you've ever served in the Spirit, it's a joy. It's a joy. But here's the question. How does this Spirit-filled service resolve the tension? God doesn't need me, and yet I'm commanded to serve. And God, and God now says, listen, through the Spirit, you can serve and produce this fruit. So how does this resolve the tension? And this is the last point, point B, service is for you. God provides service for us, for us. <laughs> he provides service for our sakes. Listen, when God allows us to serve him, he is offering us the greatest gift he could ever give us. He could offer, he's offering us the greatest gift he could ever give us. What is he offering us? He's offering us unspeakable joy in communion with his spirit. And this is where the whole tension gets resolved. What is God offering us in service? He's offering us himself. He's offering us power to serve in a way that we could never serve in our own power. We can't do it. But when we are filled with the Spirit, suddenly with Him and communion with Him, we live for Him. 
He is giving us himself when he calls us to serve. He's providing the strength to do it through the joy and the spirit. This is exactly what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, what does he say? Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving in the strength which God supplies. It is the strength that God is supplying. How? Through the joy of the spirit in us. What's he giving us? He's giving us himself. Service is for us because God fills us and blesses us with his presence. And we have this incredible privilege of being used by the creator of the universe to accomplish his purposes. Listen, God doesn't need service. He created the universe. We're not building a house for him. We need service. Why do we need service? Because we need him. And he gives it to us so that we can walk in the spirit and and use the gifts that he's provided for us and receive the joy that he offers us. And that's how tension's fixed, isn't it? The tension is fixed there, isn't it? God says, you can't serve me. And Paul says, serve the Lord. How do we fix that tension? Because you can't serve God. He doesn't need you. You need him. He gives you himself so that you can serve him for your joy and your benefit. God is giving us the gift to serve him for our blessing and joy, not because of his need as we walk in the power of his spirit. So go back to my friend in India. He had all the trappings of someone who was serving the Lord, didn't he? I mean, the man had given everything up. He had moved to one of the hardest places in the world. And you would look at him and say, he's serving God. But was he serving God? I can't judge his heart. But if he was more concerned about what he was giving up than what he was gaining in his service, then I would say no. When we are serving God, we joyfully and happily give up everything. We give up everything for the sake of that service to him. It's not a sacrifice. It's a joy. It's not a sacrifice. It's a pleasure to give to him. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you this. The same guy that wrote Romans 11 and who preached that sermon answers the question for us. We could have just turned here and skipped the sermon. (laughs) Look what Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for the sake of Christ. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen, it hurt him. He suffered the loss of all things. It hurt him. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them what? Rubbish. (laughs) It's all trash. (laughs) I count them rubbish, what? so that I may gain Christ. I get Jesus. You can take everything else. I get more of Christ. You can have my house. You can have my car. You can have my suburbanite life. You can have my retirement. You can have my family life, all of it. Yeah, I could have those, but I give them up. Why? For Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus, Paul says, and everything else is trash in comparison to him. The title of the sermon is Battling Spiritual Dullness. How do you get out of spiritual dullness? Paul is not a spiritually dull guy. (laughs) He says, you can have the whole world give me Christ. 
How do we get out of that? We get out of that through the power of the Holy Spirit who drives us to serve for himself so that we can have him. So just take it full circle, right? He commands us against spiritual dullness and slothfulness. He tells us to be fervent in the Spirit that is to be filled with the Spirit of God by faith in his promises and then to serve God. It's simple. But it's just not simplistic because we are complex beings, right? Our hearts are idle factories and they produce all sorts of things. And yet Christ is our joy and so true service is knowing and experiencing him. And so if you just want to do a little diagnostic check on your service, here's how to do this, okay? Three questions to diagnose your spiritual service. First question is this. In the areas where I'm serving God, in the areas where I'm serving God, and all of you serve. Our church serves amazingly. I'm so thankful. I, I, as a pastor, I couldn't ask for more from a church. It's amazing to me. But let me just have you ask this question. Where I'm serving God, is it a joy for me? Is it a joy for me? And to use the language of Peter, am I serving in the strength that God supplies? Is it a joy? Question two, am I filled with joy in the Holy Spirit right now? (laughs) Right now. Am I filled with joy in the Holy Spirit right now? This is accessible to all of us at this moment, isn't it? Or am I bored or lethargic or slothful? And the third question is, am I trusting God's promises for me? His adoption of me as a son through the blood of Jesus, his love for me, his presence in me through the spirit of God. Am I trusting that those things are true right now? Listen, if the answer to any of those questions is no, what should you do? The answer is you should pause and acknowledge that you're not walking in the spirit. Acknowledge that you're sinning. Confess that to God, tell him you know what? I'm not serving with joy. I'm not actually filled with the Spirit right now. I'm not filled with the knowledge of your love for me. I'm not trusting your promises for me. If the answer to those questions is no, just pause and acknowledge that sin. And when we confess our sins, God is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He removes those things from us. Why? Because Christ died for those sins. And so believe the promise of the forgiveness of Christ and his shed blood. And then, what? Turn and serve, right? Go back to service. Do it. But this time, it's totally different, isn't it? Because instead of serving with the mundanity or the burden, now you serve with the joy and the beauty and the happiness of the Spirit. Turn and do what it is that God has asked you to do. And so, perhaps you're there. Perhaps you're not filled with joy. Perhaps you're not trusting the promises of God. If that's the case... Trust them. Go back again to what he's done for you in Christ. And if you are there, rejoice. Rejoice and serve in the strength that he supplies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son. Lord, as you call us to serve, Lord, our hearts want to obey that command. We want to serve. Lord, not because of ourselves. Lord, not because or for the purpose of people seeing us. Lord, not because we want something from you, Lord. We want to serve because of what you have done for us. Lord, we want to serve because your spirit dwells in us and reminds us that we are your children. Lord, that even if we don't serve, you still love us just the same. Lord, that you could never be happier with us than you are right now. Lord, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with faith in that truth. 
Lord, fill our hearts with joy knowing that you are with us, Lord, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Lord, that our service doesn't purchase your affection. Lord, that Christ purchased your affection for us once and for all. Lord, help us to rest in these things and then, Lord, to live for Jesus. And Lord, may we say with Paul, Lord, that we would count all things as loss, as trash, that we might gain Christ compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ, our Lord. Lord, may Jesus be our all. And Lord, may we give our life for his glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen.